Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 31 of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. I'm Kurt Schilling, and he's Bill Graff. Good afternoon, Bill. How are we doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, Kurt. Don't like where we're starting here because no. I don't like these kind of stories, but here we go anyway. Yeah, a lot of Rangers today, uh, as should be, but we're going to start off with uh, Alex Manoa, the Blue Jays. If you haven't been following Alex, uh, he's 1-7 right now with a 6-3-6, and that's temporary because he's no longer in the big leagues. He was shipped all the way down to their uh, minor league complex in Florida, not double A AA or triple A. And this is a guy, by the way, who was 16 and seven with a 2-2 last year and finished third in the Cy Young voting. How does something like this happen? First of all, it's not a physical thing. This isn't a mechanical adjustment or an arm adjustment. This is a completely mental thing. And I'm going to explain how. So, uh, and I, I'll use a personal story because I experienced this. We show up in 1993, the year the Phillies went to the World Series. I arrive in June at 8-1 and one, uh, with an ERA outright just over three. A couple complete games. I'm leading the league in wins. And, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking Baltimore next month is the All-Star game. Can't wait. From uh, June 16th to July 11th in six starts, I went 0-5 with an ERA. And this is not a typo or a mispronunciation. An ERA of 10.31. And a 2.21 walks and hits the innings pitched in 26 innings over six starts. The innings uh, pitched were what surprised me, Kurt. Your yeah. career, there's sevens, there's eights, there's nines. Yeah. In that stretch, there's two, 2.1, yeah. three. Yeah, it was it was by far the It happened for a couple of different reasons. Number one, because I had zero. Con I lost the ability. I was on the mound and I was literally afraid to throw the ball over the plate. For me, a strike was going to be a double. It was terrifying. And I remember uh, a sleepless month. Managed to get back on track and and um, finish the year 16-7. We went to the World Series and stuff like that. But this stuff happens. It, sometimes it happens, like for me, in a, over a month, a couple of bad starts. And mentally, I got into a place. And basically what happened was Darren Dalton called me out at the end of this. And the media confronted me about it. And I had to get up and dust off or lay in the dirt. And I chose to get up and dust off. This guy has zero confidence. Uh, he's on the mound. It's literally challenging because you don't want to be out there because you don't feel like you can compete. Uh, and I'm I'm sure his it's not I'm not probably telling you exactly what's on his mind, but I'm giving you a ballpark of what is going through his mind. I think he is having a horrific season. Every start is a nightmare. And so double A AA and triple A doesn't get things right. You need to go back and take a breath. And this is the kind of situation where I feel like, you know, I learned how to to mentally adjust a guy in a very short period of time. Uh, I learned it from the best ever, Johnny Padres, who was uh, did it for me. But anyway, he needs a mental reset. So there's going to be, this is going to be a very different, there's no cameras down at the complex in Florida. They'll be able to do their things. And this, like I said, this is about, it's not about results now. It's about getting out there and, and, and taking the mound with that confidence. Because, you know, I can remember, I'm in the middle of a month, I can't get anybody out. And I can remember feeling, like I was on the mound at times that year where I no one could touch me and I, I couldn't figure out how those two could be, be under the same umbrella. But it happens. It happens. And it, it's one of those things, like I said, you either get out of it or you just you go away. I'm pretty you, sure he's going to get out of it. You know, Toronto did this with Roy Halladay in 2001, Kurt. Same I'm thing. You're talking a supremely talented pitcher. Yes. I actually had a long discussion, a long chat with Roy before that all happened. Brian Butterfield was a coach there and he had asked me to talk to Roy because Roy was struggling. They sent him all the way back to what, double A or A ball or something? A ball, I think. Yeah, it was a confidence thing. And he clearly picked himself up and dusted off and ended up in the Hall of Fame. 
it happens. It happens to the best of us. And and it's, it's like I said, it, it, for most guys, for the good ones, it's a temporary thing. You go through it. And, and I never went through it again. Never. I, I had bad starts, a couple bad games or whatever, but I never went through it again because I just never allowed myself to mentally go there again. And, and that's where he's going to have to be and going to have to get to staying on the mound. And this is the ultimate, I hate to say, I told you so's. And it is. Uh, I had the over-under on Jacob DeGrom and starts this year at 20, which was excessive by, by a lot. He's out five years, $185 million, and he's out till probably, I'm going to say 2025, given the timing. And it is his second. He's going to have Tommy John to repair his own collateral ligament again. He's 35. So we're not talking about a guy bouncing back. A lot of people don't realize his career got started late. He doesn't seem that old. But his career got started a little later than most. Uh, but it was a career, I think, that had him in the discussion. Had he been healthy, which is a huge – I mean, you're talking about a Koufax-like performer, a Pedro Martinez 99-type guy, probably by far the most dominating pitcher in baseball when he was healthy. I always look at him as a guy who had as good a command as I did but threw 100 and had all the breaking pitches I didn't have. So he's out, and, and that's sad, and that stinks because he's a good, good guy, and he's a guy you pay to watch play. Um, but on, on and, we're, and this is where we're going to stick for quite a bit of this show. The Rangers, they're <laughs> they're doing fine. Marcus Simeon had his, what was it? This was um, through Tuesday. He had a twenty-five Tuesday, game he hitting streak. He went over four yes on Wednesday. Yep, uh, it's the uh, second longest streak in franchise history, tied with Michael Young in 05, Ian Kinsler in 08. By the way, I'll, I'll just tell you as a pitcher. Uh, I ended a couple of these and I knew going in when guys had hitting streaks and I went extra, extra hard because I wanted to be the guy that stopped the streak and pitchers recognize this, but it's the second longest streak in franchise history. Three shy of tying Gabe Kapler's streak of 28 in 2000. They are now first in run differential. The Rangers are by uh, 23 runs over Tampa over the last 30 days. They ranked fifth without, this is without the Grom 3.52 ERA. Uh, Josh Young was AL Rookie of the Month for the second month in a row. In May, he hit three. He slashed 318, 357, 561 with a 917 uh, OPS. First in slugging, first in total bases, first in extra base hits, first in runs, tied for first in hits, tied for first in home runs, tied for first in RBIs, second in batting average, second in OPS among all rookies. And I'll tell you what, Kurt, between him and Corbin Carroll, it's going to be a great race for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, Cor Corbin Carroll has, in my mind, he just needs to stay healthy. I think he's, and there's some exceptional, by the way, this is such an amazing time for young talent in baseball. Yeah, truly um, is. But Corbin Carroll, I think, has run away with it already. Uh, and 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 that just needs to stay healthy. He's uh, he's everything you thought he was going to be. And if you drafted him smartly in your fantasy league, kudos. So the Rangers are hot. They're good. They're legit. They're going to do all of this uh, without Jacob DeGrom. And here's the easy part for the manager is you don't have to have a, a conversation in the locker room other than, you know, next man up because you've already been doing it. Last month, you've done it. You've done it without him. And now it's a challenge to do. It's a lot harder to do it for five months than it is to do it for a month, but they've done it and they can do it. Uh, and uh, you know what? Quick note, actually, Simeon's uh, hit streak ended yesterday as he went 0 for 4. Yeah. Again, 25-game hitting streak is something. Well, and, and I'll then, tell you what, Marcus Semyon isn't a name that's on the tip of people's tongues, but he can hit. His path to where he got to be was, you know, it was Oakland, right? Oakland? Yeah. And that's not a place where guys go to become famous. You can be someone in, in relative obscurity in Oakland. 
which getting out and getting into uh into Texas has helped. Texas probably not one of the bigger, better markets, but they're going to be good this year. So his he's going to be showcased, and people are going to realize how good of a player he actually is. So uh, I, I got to see a highlight yesterday of uh, Ellie Dela Cruz, who is not related to O'Neill Cruz, even though you're talking about six foot five inch guys. He debuted, by the way, fifth youngest player in the last hundred years to make his major league debut hitting cleanup. The first sign, if I'm a Reds fan, the first thing that that tells me is this kid clearly mentally has it going on because teams are loathe to do things like that because that's hitting some where you hit in the lineup is a big deal to hitters. When you're on you're, when you're hitting fourth, there's expectations and you're adding expectations on top of stress of that debut. Walked in his first plate appearance, doubled in the the third, walked in the fifth, punched out in the, his last inning at bat. Uh, of the of his debut the next day yesterday <laughs> he hit a 458 foot home run i think the measurement was about 458 feet short because it was a bomb ran the bases like a pro too which i loved uh, apparently went from home to third on a triple in under 11 seconds fastest in major league this year so far on okay. a triple like again digest that he's what six five yeah, six foot five, six foot kid, six foot five. He ran the fastest home to third time. That is uh, the opposite of Schilling esque. I could probably clock that in somewhere under twenty five seconds, but I couldn't touch eleven. So this kid is special, and again, somebody you, that people are going to buy tickets to watch. Well, and the interesting thing, Kurt, to me is the Reds are relevant again immediately. Yeah, they're actually talking wild card in right. Cincinnati, right? Which isn't. That far-fetched. Right. I mean, it's going to take a lot of good play, but this is how you do it with players like this. Um, understanding there's going to be bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, I want to actually mention one more thing before we talk, finish up with Luis Arias. Pete Alonzo homered, uh, hit a 448-foot home run, and then was recorded yelling towards Bryce Elder, who threw it. Throw it again, throw it again, please, throw it again, in reference to the right-hander's hanging slider. Bryce Elder said, I mean, if I hit one on the concourse, I might holler too. Braves got the last laugh, however, in the sixth inning when they rallied for four runs, take the lead for good. The other stuff I don't care about, but if you're going to talk directly to me, I'm drilling your ass. Might not be the next at bat, but you'll know it's coming, and then you'll be nervous until it does. And I don't care if you're a polar bear or whatever the hell you are. I'll take my chances. On Wednesday, the day after this, he got hit on the wrist in his first at bat with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. Yeah, and well-deserved. You're going to be an idiot. You deserve to get things done to you that represent your idiocy. I, I, you can do the whole bat flipping BS and the whole slow trot stuff. You know, I, that's so what? You want to talk trash? All right, that's fine. We'll, we'll, and as a pitching staff, it clearly wasn't the pitcher who he yelled at that drilled him. There's no place for that. You know, but this guy's part of his whole shtick is, is being a showman. So. You know, if he thinks that's showmanship, then then he's going to wear it uh, often as he should. So Arias goes two for four yesterday, ups his average to 403. And there's going to be a watch. He's four for his last eight over the sixth and seventh. I said early in the year, this is the kind of hitter that hits 400 because he puts the ball in play. And, and that is a stat and a skill. He is in many ways, uh, he's a sabermetric stream and he doesn't strike out, but he's not a power guy. So they... He kind of goes under the radar for them. And this is a guy who you want hitting either at the top of your lineup or in your two hole or somewhere up top because he's going to be manip moving the baseball around. Uh, but it's going to be fun to watch because it's going to be very, very hard for him 
to go in extended slump. I mean, it used to say that about guys like Brett who hit 390 and whatnot because they would draw their walks. He's clearly not a guy that will draw a walk, but he will put the bat on the ball and make solid contact consistently enough to, to delay or avoid prolonged slumps. He has 28 swings and misses this year. 28. This year, Pete Alonso has that in a game. In a game. <laughs> it's a lost art. It really honestly is because, because uh, ESPN shows you the long balls. They don't show you the singles. So everybody wants to be on ESPN and everybody swings like, you know, that's why strikeout rates are through the roof. All right. Uh, top five outfielders I ever played with. I'll give you my five, but I'm going to caveat it and add a bunch of names. All right. Because there's guys that that I played with I know you don't know. Uh, and then there's some some sleepers. But I would tell you that the three most athletic outfielders I ever played with all played in the very same outfield at the very same time. Steve Finley's my number one. And and it's kind of clear cut. Uh, with There's a couple caveats, but Steve Finley's up, up top. Uh, Coco Crisp. However, Steve Finley, Mike Devereaux, and Brady Anderson all were in the Baltimore Oriole outfield in 1989 and 1990. Think about that. That was the most – and and I remember it very vividly because every day in, in batting practice, they would challenge each other to take away home runs. And they would do stuff that Ken Griffey Jr. would drool over. It was unbelievable to watch. Um, but my top five, uh, Finley, Dykstra, Damon, Brady Anderson, Coco Crisp. Those five guys, for me, were the, in the top five because they could go get the ball. And when they got the ball, they caught the ball. You know, Lenny could make it look acrobatic and funny, but he would catch it. It's funny because Lenny didn't have a very good arm, neither did Johnny, but that that wasn't – we'll talk about arms in a second. But my criteria was catching the ball. I didn't care about the throwing part. And those guys went and got it. Here's some honorable mentions. Doug Glanville, Trot Nixon, Danny Bautista, Dave Roberts are all of my top five outfielder guys. Gerald Young from the Houston Astros – 1991 center fielder uh, we used to call him high pockets because his butt was so high up his back that he could reach over his shoulder and get his wallet out 1995 i played with andy van slyke in philadelphia bobby abreu is up there too jd drew outstanding defender milt thompson uh and here's a here's a caveat guy for you bill i played with kenny lofton in 1991 in triple a tucson kenny was a borderline hall of fame player oh no doubt and got less than 5% of the vote and was off the ballot immediately, which is another reason the writers suck. But Kenny Lofton, who was, he was special. Other guys, the best arms I ever played with. Uh, every one of these is probably not going to come as a surprise. The best arms I played with in the outfield, Jose Guillen and Raul Mondesi were both right there. Uh, Mark Witten and Bobby Abreu with J.D. Drew at the end of that list. Those were some of the, I think they were probably the best arms of my generation. I remember Mark Witten had a cannon. Oh my God. You know, I think still think Jose Guillen had the best arm of all of them. Jose Guillen did, huh? Uh, and if you watch, there's a throw in, I think it's in Colorado when he was with Pitt. It is. There's a highlight on YouTube of Jose Guillen getting a ball, bouncing off the fence from deep right field in Colorado and throwing it in the air on a line to third base and coming in chest high. And it's probably one of the better throws I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I felt he had – Bobby Abreu had a very underrated arm. J.D. Drew had a cannon. Uh, and the one other outfielder I forgot to mention that's on my list, Jim Eisenreich. Jim Eisenreich was a phenomenally gifted athlete. He was uh, sneaky fast. He was sneaky fast. He was a solid 
very and again my outfielders just catch the ball that's all i ever wanted i didn't you know if you covered more ground that's awesome but i wanted guys that caught the ball and and did the fundamental things and all those guys were exceptional at doug glanville was one danny batista i played with him in arizona he was he was a sleeper on that list but danny was an incredibly solid fundamentally sound player and i think I always thought that maybe he could have gotten a little more playing time and been, and, and been better if he had gotten exposure more. Uh, great teammate, great guy, too. Those are my outfielders. I've got a question for you about outfielders, Kurt. What's up? When you were pitching, did you help position outfielders by the way you my did it? My outfielders played where I told them to play. Explain that to me, please. So um, I bought into preparation study data metrics and all that stuff. So I knew... If I made the pitch I was going to make to a certain hitter, I knew where if he hit it in the air, I knew where it was going to go. So if, you'll see a, there's a highlight uh, or a video about in Arizona that was done. And they were talking to guys on the team about me. And Luis Gonzalez, he said, you know, he, Kurt used to tell me like where to line up and play on guys. And I, I said, you know, and Gonzo says, what, you know, what if they hit it over my head? And I said, and I, this is what happened. I said, you're going to play here and do this. Uh, and and a lot of guys would say, well, what happens if he hits it? And I said, if he hits it over your head, then I made a mistake. And I don't want to, I'm not going to defend against mistakes. I'm going to, I know where he's going to hit the ball in the outfield. You don't want you to be there. And that's how it was. And I earned that right. I sat in my defensive meeting. So I had, and, and generally that was why I had my second base and my shortstop was my defensive captain. If I needed to move outfielders, I'd tell Dustin uh, Pedroia or my shortstop, hey, listen, move Johnny X, Y, and Z. Or I would tell them, yeah, I would go up to the outfielder before the game and say, listen, for A, B, and C, I need you to play about 15 steps, 20 steps to your left or 20 steps to your whatever. Um, and and the other thing it did, it got him invested. It got it wasn't normal. Other pitchers didn't do that. And so I think I I allowed I there was an inclusiveness to my start in the sense that, hey, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna need you to help me do it. That's how it worked. I mean, that's you go back and look at the end of Tony Gwynn's career. I, I had, I, I, it was, it was one of the, that was what Gonzo was referring to. I told when Tony Gwynn comes up, I want you to play 30 steps in. And I told Finley, I want you to play over in left center. And I want uh, my right fielder, Reggie Sanders. I want you over in the right center field gap. And if anything goes to the right of anybody, then I've made a huge mistake. That's how it went because I knew I wasn't going to make him swing and miss. I knew he was going to hit the ball on the ground or, or, or in the air on the left side. And I wanted people there. That's how I defended him. I can't imagine, though, if I could have positioned Steve Finley, Mike Devereaux, and Brady Anderson. I might have never given up a fly ball hit to the outfield in my career. <laughs> when did you start figuring that out? Early in the mid-90s. As I, I mean, I had to earn that reputation first. Right. I had to be that guy who – and so, uh, you know, mid-90s, 95, 96, 97. 97 was the first year Tito kind of gave me full autonomy to handle my defense. That is awesome. All right, so uh, outkick.com, guys. Uh, on the right uh, side of the top of the screen, you'll find the uh, shows. Click down, you'll find the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. We're on Spotify as well. Uh, Bill, you guys have a great weekend. I will catch you on Tuesday next week.